Hey, welcome. How's everybody doing? Oh my gosh, I'm so great. So great to be here, Steve. I love vintage. Thank you for coming. Man, so glad. <laughs> glad that y'all are here. I'm Steve Hambrick, pastor here at Vintage, and I will be speaking this morning. Uh, so let me just tell you uh, one of my one of my like pet peeves in life. Um, my pet peeves, as a guy who loves uh, sports, one of my pet peeves is. Players on, I don't care which team it is of mine, like my team, you know, like whether it's the Braves or the Georgia Bulldogs, the Falcons, I don't like it when my players on my team, or especially like, especially in fantasy football, do not measure up to their potential. Can I get an amen? amen? My gosh. I mean, seriously, it's like, listen, God's given them this ability to like, to like kick butt and take names and they go out there and there's like, whatever it is. Right. And I'm just like, seriously. And I always think about like, if I just had their potential, right. And passion and stuff like this, like I would, I would, I just love that it happened because there's something about people's potential that you want to see them kind of to measure up and to live out and maybe even kind of exceed maybe what their potential is and you see it it's like like a, and a god forbid we talk great about nick saban but i mean as a like for alabama fans like they recognize nick saban the coach of alabama crimson tide what kind of name is that crimson tide right now like what in the deal is like but seriously he gets the best out of his players all the time and I love seeing, and I love teachers who do the same thing. If you're a teacher, and I mean, like, I love you. Don't you love it? I mean, you see teachers, like, give so much of themselves that this potential in their students is drawn out. Don't you love it, parents, when your child has that teacher? And you see, like, your child go to this level that they've never been before, and they come home, and all they do is talk about how much they love their teacher and, and how great their teacher is. And, and, and we just love those types of people. Lord, we just love potential. We love potential being realized. And, and we just love this because there's something and I, and I, about potential being realized. And, we, and, as, and even as people, like, when, we, when we're around as Christians and we're around, like, our really, like, uh, engaging, in-depth, unbelievable, leaving friends and what do we always say oh my gosh they make great christians <laughs> don't you ever said that before they make great christians and what you mean is they have so much influence and people would listen to them because they have so much influence they make a great christian and you're like because they're not realizing their potential because they don't know jesus and so what i want us to recognize this morning is is this is that in this word potential there is so much weight but not like bad weight, not like bloated water weight, not like Thanksgiving and Christmas weight. No, like it's like a, like a holy, godly, the word kabod actually in, in the Greek, this kabod, this glory of God, this weight of God in this idea of potential that defines in God's eyes. Listen, potential, this potential that God sees when he sees you. And when we read 1 Corinthians, and I read 1 Corinthians, I read the words of Paul. Like, I realize that he's looking at a church that's just not living up to its potential. It's really what the kind of letter is about. You should be loving others. You should be mature, but you're not. You're focused on self, and you're still immature, drinking spiritual milk when you should be eating like and chowing down filet mignon in the spirit of God. All right? But you're like, mm-hmm, just drinking milk all day long, right? And so potential is what is defining for Paul this letter he's writing because he's looking at them and saying, you should be potential, but you are not. Because the idea for us as believers, I don't know if you ever think about this. Like you all know that you have a very limited view of who God is, right? Like I don't mean that in some condescending way. Like, oh, you don't know as well as I do. I don't mean it like that. I mean, like you know how limited your view is of God, 
right? I mean, you at least can, can at least kind of theologically or just logically kind of name that, that he literally is this creator of God who is ne- who was never born yet always existed and then spoke its perfect time, spoke creation into existence. And we know from science and looking through telescopes that his, when he spoke creation, that literally the, like he spoke it, they don't use the language, but I do like that literally things are still being formed and created in the cosmos in the universe because when he spoke it his voice never stops because he's god and so creation is still literally being formed light years upon light years upon light years away only william shatner seen it star trek <laughs> i mean seriously this creation still happening right there's this dynamic god creator who is self-sustaining in and of himself in the context of father son holy spirit god the father god the son god the holy spirit we make up a word called trinity to try to explain it but you can't fully understand because who can really define and explain god in a limited mind right and so how can we do this and so we just kind of put trinity out there god the son god the father god the holy spirit this whole dynamic of god and, and so potentials defined why because when you give your life to Jesus. Listen, you were all standing in a bear trap. Like bear trap. You know what a bear trap is? That big old like clumpy thing you saw in all the cartoons growing up. And like, and like Bugs Bunny always had one. I don't know how he had it. Right. And like, you just sit out there and like you were caught in a bear trap and you could not set yourself free. You're like prying it. You know, you couldn't get it off. And so Jesus came and he died, resurrected, and we give our lives to him and make him Lord, Savior of our life and Lord of our life. It's really important, guys. Salvation represents he's Savior. He saves us from our junk and he's Lord. He's in control. You can't, we, we love Jesus the Savior. We don't all like him as Lord. Right, but that's what it means to get saved, to give our lives to Jesus. He saves us and then he gets to lead every bit of our life. In that moment, he takes off the bear trap. And he says, now I'm going to squeeze, because he's God and he can do this, I'm going to squeeze all of the creator-esque-ness of myself fully into you. And Paul says, that defines your potential, Corinthians. That defines your potential sitting out here at Vintage. Your potential is defined by the creator God of the cosmos who has put himself into you. And so when we sit here, I say, I don't think we have a big enough view of who God is because he does all of that and your de- potential is now defined by it. And it now becomes the most, and that's why it has to become the most important thing in your life, because the most important person in your life gets to have the most important voice in your life. And the most important leadership in your life, and I don't know about you, but I haven't created a cosmos very recently. I haven't. I haven't opened up many bear traps in the spirit lately. He does it every day. He is creator God. And our lives then, our potential, and Paul's looking at these Corinthians, and he's undone because they're just not scoring well in his fantasy football team. They're not, they're not reaching potential. The guy is like, what? And the guy's like, I'll get that, man. I'll get that. Not reaching potential. They're not. They're not reaching potential. And the ladies who play too, sorry. That was really sexist of me. I didn't mean that. Potential. And Paul looks down and says, you should be, but you are not. And I would say this morning for all of us, there is potential that I see that Jesus sees for all of us that is unrealized. And as we go through 1 Corinthians, the heart of God is to awaken us to the things that are potential. We should be maturing, but we're not, and things we can move into. And here's the great thing. God's not angry. Like He's not like, oh, my God, Brian Brown, what are you doing, you idiot? Why don't you step into your potential? He's not doing that. He's going, Brian, you're amazing. And I see what I have for you, and I'm going to work my tail off to make sure you get there. 
because I care that much about you. I'm, I am working. Paul's speaking because he sees potential. He's like, God, you don't understand. Potential defines you. Creator God lives inside of you. You should be mature, but you're not. And we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to get you there. That's what we're here to do this morning. And then Paul looks at them, and, and we're going to look at it in a second. In verse 20, verse 1, chapter 2, it says, And so it is with me. He does this whole description piece. This is who you are and what you should be doing. And so it was with me. And he describes as a model for them what he did and what his life looked like. And so this morning, we're going to look at the model of Paul. And here's the thing. You go, well, Paul's just a man. Yes, he was. And do you know what he said under the influence of the Holy Spirit? You imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says, if you watch me and do what I do and say what I say, you will look and sound not like me, like Jesus. Like, I don't, again, I mean, y'all are, I mean, y'all must have had a really bad drive to church this morning. Man, y'all are like, uh, dying this morning. I want you, listen, like there's this potential There's this awakening and every single one of you should be, listen, every single one of you, because of the potential in you, because of the power of Christ in you should be able to say immaturity, you just do what I do and you'll look like Jesus. And that has a kabod and weight to it, doesn't it? But you know what? That's your potential, but you know, because you know why Jesus wants to be Jesus in you. That's the idea. He wants to be himself fully in you so that you go, oh, I'm just going to follow. That's what Paul names here. He literally describes this lifestyle of so imitating Jesus and looking like him that he could say, just do what I do. Say what I say. So let's dive in this morning to Paul's our model. And here's the deal. We're not looking at this so you can just go home and make sure and tell your spouse to do it. We're here this morning or your children. You're here this morning to see what God has to say to you. First Corinthians chapter one, starting in verse 26. You can read along with me on the screen or in your own Bible. I'm reading from the English standard version. Brothers and sisters, it says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, God, with God's work, right? It is because of God's work, him, that you were in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. Jesus is our, that is, he has become our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as to proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved, like with deep resolve, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Do you see him kind of beginning now saying, not about me, but about Jesus, not about my own personal potential in myself, but God's potential in me. So in this idea, Paul's coming and boasting. He's boasting in the Lord. He's boasting in the work of the Lord. He's focusing on what Jesus has done. He's focusing on the life of Jesus inside of him. He's making much of Jesus. He's, he's saying, Jesus is my Lord. He's leading me. He's guiding me. It's all about him. It's not about my own abilities. It's not about what I can do, my own human eloquence, all these things. It is about the Father. It's about God in me. He says in these verses, he says, apart from God's work, apart from what he did in your life, not, 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 most of you, there are a few of you, but not most of you are not influential. You're not of noble birth. He kind of just says you were foolish in the eyes of the world, right? Foolish, you were weak, you were lowly, and you were despised in the eyes of the world. There's nothing great about them, okay? Not great, nothing great about them. Then it says there is nothing about them. There's nothing about them that is worthy of boasting over. Everything they have of value and everything that they possess of value is simply something they have from Jesus. Like, if they have some high, listen, these are like retired war veterans, some of them. Some of them had killed thousands and been, some of, let's just assume 
Let's assume some of them actually were really great in the army. Like these are like, these are those like above Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs look up to. Let's just assume for a moment that's part of the church. He says none of that's of value. And God doesn't really look at that as value. And like it's not that valuable, even though the world may think it's valuable. God's saying the thing that's valuable is what he has done in your life. It's what he's doing in your life. What's of value? Well, that he has made you righteous, that he has made you holy, that he has redeemed you and taken you for the bear trap. These are the things that are valuable. And so in this, Paul is making it clear that the only thing worth boasting in is only found in Jesus. Their life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit of God, interacting with the Spirit of God, it produces the work of Jesus and it's the only thing worth boasting in. The idea is simple. What do we put our value in? Where do we put our worth? Everything you put your value in in the world is worthless. It does not find itself, its source in Jesus. There had to be a shift in their mind. Paul sees it. Their potential defines it, but they're not living in it, right? There has to be a shift in their minds. There has to be a shift in our minds to view things through the mind of Christ, to see things as Jesus sees them. So you should just press pause real quick and just ask yourself, honestly, how good do I do 24-7 seeing everything that happens in the lens of Jesus? Everything at work, every, every hiccup, every tension, every single relationship, every conversation, right? Every single drive down the road, every time I go to the store, how well do I do putting the lens of Jesus on to view everything in the context of God's spirit? Not to beat yourself up, but to recognize so there's potential there. I have some room because none of you do it well or do it great. Or do it as well as you can. And so there's potential. And we go, yes, I have potential. All right? And by God's grace, I'm going to realize it. And so there's this potential that defines us. And so, so Paul's looking at we built this foundation of Christ, right? But I want you to be granted for life. And so we've got to build a building then of, of boasting in Christ and the lens of looking through Jesus and living your life in the power of the Spirit every day. So he goes on, and in these next few verses, in verses uh, 1 through 5 of chapter 2, and we see this thing. He says, so, and he starts out in, in, in verse 1, says, so it was with me. So he says, so here's, my, I'm going to model. This is what I did, so I'm going to tell you what I did. Or I'm going to model it, show you what I modeled, or show you what I did, so I can be a model for you. And, and so we're going to name these things that Jesus has done this morning. So the first thing that Paul, excuse me, that Paul does is Paul devalues what they find value in. Paul devalues what they find value in. He's not mocking them. He's not belittling them. He's just saying, guys, you're missing where the true value is found. In verse 1, so that it did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. Do you remember last week we talked about this in chapter 1? That it said that all these people, they put their primary like energies behind following uh, a speaker and putting themselves in that camp. And as doing such, it made them look honorable and valuable in the eyes of the people in the culture. And the way that they spoke, they literally put more, more weight behind the ability of speaking versus actually what was said. And so if you could speak well in this culture, then you were someone of importance and he's coming and he says, God, I'm going to, I'm just going to devalue that. I did not come with eloquence. It wasn't about how I spoke or what I spoke was that or how I spoke was my eloquence. It was not me coming how wise I was and oh, whatever. He said, I didn't come in any of that. Paul talked about the emptiness of finding honor and value and prestige through the currency of the culture here. He says he intentionally didn't embrace or buy into any of these cultural ideals. What did he come to do? He came to preach the gospel. He came to testify and to speak much about Jesus. End of story. Enough said. He's like, I don't care who follows me. I don't care who thinks I'm great. I don't care about this group of people over here and what they're doing for me. I don't even care about baptized even, he says, if you read chapter one. I don't even care about any of that. All I care is that Jesus, that I've been obedient to proclaim Jesus. I've made much of Jesus. I've looked in the lens of Jesus every day. And that's the fine. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. He doesn't come valuing the things that they value. 
He is challenging the way they view Jesus. That he is challenging the very way that they do church. He's challenging them. He's devaluing the things that they value. And that's why he says, let the one who boasts stop boasting about themselves and their honor and their prestige and their own glory and who they are in the eyes of men. Let them stop worrying about how what people are saying about them and competing with the Joneses and what their neighbors have. Let them stop looking on Facebook and Instagram all day long and finding their personal value and being a part of a group or not being a part of it. Right. Stop worrying about whose group they're in and whose Bible study they're a part of and whose church they go to and who the pastor is and all that crap. Focus on Jesus. And boast in him. Who cares? I mean, literally every single junior high and high school student is so hung up on what group they're in, who, what, what group they're a part of, who likes them. They come home crying every day, blah, 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 whatever it is. And Jesus saying, Let, recognize Jesus. He thinks you are awesome. Why? He's saying, why do you give the best of your energies worrying about what they're saying? What if the God of the cosmos, the creator of everything, you could hear his voice proclaiming, you are amazing. God, could you go to school with that leading every day? And he's saying, this is your potential. This was what belongs to every single believer in Christ. Stop focusing on garbage and let me take it out. And let me fill you with perfection in heaven and focus on it. Paul devalues crap and values Jesus. Sorry I'm going to use that word in your home, but it fits best. I'll use more descriptive terms, but you can't use them here at church. Number two. Number two, if I'm much of age, here we go. Number, oops, sorry. Two, Paul values his weakness. Paul values his weakness. Verse two and three. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Paul is celebrating. This is crazy talk. Paul is celebrating his weaknesses. Paul is celebrating that he came with great fear. We're going to look at that in a second. He came celebrating that he was trembling. Please recognize that Paul is not saying that he is weak in human standards. Don't, he is not saying that he is fearful and trembling because of the mighty Corinthians or because of anyone or anything in Corinth. He is not saying that he is insecure and unsure of himself. I mean, he was a Jew among Jews, right? He, he was, he was, he says later, I spoke in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I am not fearful. I am not weak. I am, I am not literally trembling because of anyone or anything. I'm not insecure, right? We know in scripture, he says, he says, I am dead to the world, but I'm alive in Christ. Do you know what that means? Dead people can't be hurt. Dead people can't be influenced. You know why? Because they're dead. They can't think. They can't speak, right? They're unaware of anything that's going on. You can kick them. It doesn't hurt. I'm dead to the world. I am alive in Christ. I'm dead to what everyone is saying and thinking. I'm not fear. He's not fearful of anyone or anything. This is good. He's alive to Christ. He's alive to his voice. He's alive to the roaming movement of God's spirit in his life. Right in this moment, he's coming. What he is saying, he is saying what that God's strength and how big God is causes his strength to seem like weakness. He is saying clearly that when he came, he was resolved with deep conviction to lean into and rely on nothing in himself, but instead to rely on Jesus because he recognized that compared to Jesus, I am weak, right? I come in fear and trembling. I don't want to lean into myself. I just want to lean into God who is all powerful. I give the best of my energies to leaning into him and dying to myself. He is describing a life of humility, one that is counterintuitive to everything that they understand in their culture. 
he is describing a life of trusting Jesus, trusting Jesus' power and Jesus' lordship, and trusting the powerful, expressive movement of God's spirit in their life. Like, this is really important for those of you who grew up in churches that kind of poo-pooed experience. I encourage you to go read this. Paul is literally expecting them to experience in the physical the movement of God's spirit so they can see it, feel it, taste it, and touch it, and smell it. He's literally expecting these things to happen. He's literally expecting God's spirit to move because we know they're comfortable moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in all of them with healing, with words of prophecy, the gift of tongues and all of these pieces. He's literally living in expectation of people saying, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to give my life to Jesus because someone speaks well and makes me believe it. I'm going to, I'm going to give my life to Jesus because I've literally experienced the love of God in my life. I've literally experienced and felt that and I've convicted by it. Listen, this is really important. If I say to my wife today, if I say to my wife, I love you. I don't feel anything for you ever. And I'm completely okay with that because I'm just going to be devoid of emotion and feeling, but I'm committed to you because I love you. That does not mean a lot to her, does it? She wants me to burn with passion, right? She wants me to pursue her. She wants me to woo her. Like she wants it like the she wants me to go, oh baby, I love you so much, right? She wants me to put my hand on her and when I see her to get aroused. That's what she wants, guys. And Jesus has put us in relationship with spouses to let us understand this is what it looks like in relationship, that there are moments when I am emotionally engaged, my feelings are moving in power, and then there are those moments we just don't like each other. <laughs> and in those moments, what do I lean on into in the context of my love for her? My commitment that's not based on feeling. Love is never just emotion, but it can never be anything less than. A professor told me that one time in seminary. He's smarter than me. I just kind of quote it. Man, like, emo, like it's emotion and conviction. It's like emotion and devotion. It's all of these pieces. And so I'm sitting here like Paul literally expected them to have this passionate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, listen, when I say Holy Spirit, don't freak out. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They like each other. It's okay if you talk about one. And not the other. You don't just talk about Jesus. Holy Spirit's completely fine. I'm about Jesus and Jesus completely fine. I'm about the Holy Spirit. I mean, they're three in one. We celebrate them all. Holy Spirit's moving in their lives. And Paul's expecting them to have conviction and this devotion and to literally experience the emotions and the experiential reality of the gifts of the Holy Spirit moving in power. Let me tell you something. When someone comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, and they tell you everything you've been praying about in your prayer time with the Lord, it messes with you emotionally in a good way. It makes you know God loves you, and you want to experience it even more. Oh, speak more, Jesus! And so we talk about, right, Paul values his weakness, but there's this beautiful moment of really expecting God to move. And so there's this beautiful reality of God's spirit moving. He's expecting this movement. God values, Paul values his weakness because he wants Jesus to like explode in his life. Third thing is Paul values the power of God's spirit. Paul values the power of God's spirit. Verse four and five. This is my message. In my preaching, we're not with wise and persuasive words, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul is boasting in Jesus. He is boasting in the power of the Holy Spirit in his life that he can't produce in his own strength. He came with a demonstration of the Spirit, not his work, and said he let God's Spirit move through him. Hear this next phrase. He embraced humility. This is important. He embraced humility so God's spirit would have no hindrance in moving through him. 
If you want to see God's spirit move, then humble yourself before God and say, do your thing. I'm out of the way. Fear and trembling and weakness, not me. You, God, have your, just do it. Just do it. He's like, I'm going to do it. Here I come. You ready? Just do it. Okay, I'm doing it. Here it comes, right? This happens with the Lord, right? This is what Paul's expecting, not his work. God's spirit, right? They do, and in this life, they are to do as he has done. The Corinthians are to do as he has done, to celebrate God's power versus their own. Paul explains that he was intent on having the converts, the Corinthians' faith, rooted in the experience of God and God's power, not in the persuasive artistry of a mere human being. Paul expected them to experience the transcending power of God and the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit. They must be a people who rest in God's transforming power, Rather than any human skill or human capability, they must live a life of the Spirit. A primary takeaway for me in these verses about Paul, and I've kind of all talked around it, is Paul's undeniable trust and faith in God and God's Spirit moving through him. Like, he just lived convicted every day that God was going to do his thing through him. Like, there was no questions, if, ands, or buts about it. He literally lived anticipation of God's spirit being alive in him, moving through him, and, and influencing everything that he was doing and bringing breakthrough for every area that needed breakthrough to bring God's love into every area that needed God's love. He lived in confidence and faith that God was going to do this through the work of the Holy Spirit. And he was telling the Corinthians, and you can too. You're mature, but you're immature, but you can be mature in these things. You can live, you can move into, listen, do as I've done. Do as I've done. Imitate me, this idea, right? God is real. And so in this, we see Paul's, this is, this is really important. Paul's expectation of God's spirit was birthed out of a personal knowledge, an intimate knowledge of the Holy Spirit in his life. And because he knew Holy Spirit intimately, because he knew Jesus intimately, he trusted him and knew what to expect from him. Paul lived by the Spirit. Paul says in chapter 3, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Chapter 6 says, don't you know that the Holy Spirit, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and He resides in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. The Holy Spirit dwelled in the lives of the Corinthian believers. But here's the point. The Holy Spirit dwelled in them, but Paul makes it clear that there is a clear disconnect between their understanding and and his understanding of life in the Spirit. There was a great void of disconnect of what it meant to live by the Spirit as he understood it and as they understood it. R.A. Torrey, who was a, a great friend and, and disciple of, uh, of D.L. Moody, said this in his book, uh, Being Filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit, this is important, it's on the screen. You can read it with me or just follow along with me. We can all read it. The Holy Spirit dwells in every child of God. And somehow, however, he dwells way back in their consciousness and the hidden sanctuary of their spirit, human spirit. He is not allowed to take possession as he desires of the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. Some, therefore, are not distinctly conscious of his indwelling, but he is there nonetheless. So I believe this is Paul's view of the Corinthians. Obviously, God's spirit dwells in them, and the spirit is, is even moving through them because they're not lacking any spiritual gift. However, they are not conscious of the Holy Spirit in every area of their life and their primary pursuits. And the values that they're pursuing reveal this fact. They're unaware of the lordship of Jesus, the movement of the Holy Spirit, obedience to him in every facet of their life. There's a humility that's lacking in their life that really allows the God's spirit to move in every facet, every way that he wants to. They are running after things other than Jesus, revealing that their faith and trust is not ultimately in him, but in the things that they're chasing after. It reveals they don't truly understand the Holy Spirit the person, the person, the person of the Holy Spirit in their lives. What scripture says, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Don't grieve him. Don't break his heart. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He is a person with feelings and emotions in your life. And literally, your actions of sin grieve his movement. Pull back. He's like, I can't. I want to. It's like a crimping of a hose. I want to move, but I can't. This lack of conscious acknowledgement. They were, they wanted like some of the stuff of the Holy Spirit. They did not want to devote everything and they were immature because of it. Here's what I believe Paul understood about the Holy Spirit in his life. And I want you to so to take a deep breath. Now exhale, wake up. 
I want you to hear this part. I'm going to read this whole section that I've written down. I've kind of taken some different stuff, put it together. Because I want you to see a snapshot, a picture of what this life in the Holy Spirit looks like. What this life looks like, what we're aspiring to, what I believe Paul understood was some level of potential for their life that they were not leaning into and experiencing. Here's what it says. The Holy Spirit fully and forever satisfies the one who receives him. The Holy Spirit fully and forever satisfies the one who receives him. He becomes within him a well, a well of water springing up, ever springing up into everlasting life. The idea it's a great thing. This is important. It's a great thing to have our source of satisfaction, our source of fulfillment, our source of joy inside of us, because it means it's available to us at all times. I can just walk to the spring, right? It's not outside of us, nor can it come from anything outside of us. Our inner source is always bringing up in freshness and power and is independent of our environment. Our joy, our fulfillment, our satisfaction, our, our, our power, our influence always has its source inside of us. No matter what's going on in our environment outside of us, I can always turn to it, the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter whether you have health or sickness, prosperity or adversity. Doesn't matter if we have our friends with us or are separated from them. Our source for all things that ultimately satisfy is within us. When the Holy Spirit comes into us, it springs up inside nonstop for eternity. The Spirit fills us. The Spirit enables us. The Spirit empowers us. The Spirit of God, junior high and high school kids, college kids, the Holy Spirit satisfies every longing of our hearts. Every longing. Every longing. When our consciences are awakened to the Holy Spirit, we, like Paul, will look to live life hiding self so that Christ's life can radiate through us both in us for ourselves, but let me say this, primarily for others. We must become aware that the movement of God's Spirit, this is important, we must become aware that the movement of God's Spirit within us is not primarily intended to make us happy. It's given to make us useful. Yes, when He comes into our lives, He brings joy. He positively impacts us in every imaginable way. And this delights God that we are filled by him. But the Holy Spirit is ultimately deposited into us with a lost world in mind. God fills us. He enables and empowers us with the intention of moving through us to save the world. That's the ultimate place of maturity. First Corinthians 10, 24 Stop serving yourself and start serving others. Stop giving the best of your life to yourself and give it to the needs of others. That's the place of maturity because you recognize the Holy Spirit, the potential he has in you. Yes, it satisfies every deep longing and all the garbage you're running after in life or honor and prestige, the currency of the culture, right? Instagram, Facebook, social media world garbage, right? Yes, like he can satisfy every need and longing you have in that. But ultimately, he satisfies those needs so that you can then live fully for Christ, expressing the movement, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that when you then go to a people and listen, so when you go to a people in need, just like Paul, you live in expectation of God's spirit moving in power and them experiencing what's going on and it not really mattering exactly how you say things and being all eloquent in the way that you do it. I'm so afraid of what to say when I share Jesus with people. Well, take in the Holy Spirit and see what happens. Right? Lean into Jesus. Go into a conversation. Say, Jesus, would you flow? I don't want you to go like a creek through me, God. I want you to flow like a river that's been pent up by a dam that's now been released and to go into someone's life and overwhelm them. God, I can't. I go in fear and trembling. I don't want to get in the way. But by God, I want your river to flow. 
I want to see, I want, I want to have words of knowledge, gifts of discernment to be able to speak into their lives. I want to be able to speak in tongues over that and someone pray, interpret that so they can hear the voice of God, right? Whatever it may be. I want to, listen, I am so, listen, I am so tired of the church stopping the laying on of hands of the sick because they're afraid God's not going to move. I'm so tired of that. I want every person all the time to think, yeah, Jesus can move. Yeah, he wants to heal. If he doesn't heal, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to pray no matter what. Yes, get excited. Seriously. And Paul says, this is your potential. How do I know that? Because you have a foundation of Jesus. I've grounded you for a life. Would you please build a building that keeps in code with the spirit of God? That becomes a great vessel through which he can move. Don't waste your life. Wasting your life is boring and lame. It's a waste of time. It's actually a living hell is what it actually equals. Heaven's been deposited in you. You can begin to live like it's in you. All right. So five steps that you can take to be more spiritually conscious, whether like with different phrases. So there's a book called Power Lines about talking about the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to get it. I forget who wrote it. Some lady. And she basically takes all these great theologians and writers throughout the world who've experienced this deeper move of the Holy Spirit. They all name it something very different. And they all have almost the exact same steps by which to whether be consciously aware, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, become alive in the Holy Spirit, whatever it may be, a release of the Holy Spirit, deeper movement of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you call it, right? There's these these practical steps that they all name. So I'm going to give them to you. You ready? Five practical steps of this idea of kind of stepping into this life of potential that Paul has, a spirit-filled, spirit-led life. Number one, you have to give life to Jesus. You have to give life. You have to be saved, right? The Holy Spirit only fills those who invite him to come in and give, and they give their life to Jesus. And it's important to recognize it's not just coming Jesus like, Jesus saved me. Woo, okay, now I'm going to live my life. It's Jesus saved me. Now I follow you because you're Lord. Now here's the point. He's a loving Lord. He's a kind Lord. He's always good in his lordship. And where he leads us, it's always ultimately best and good. He works things, all things for the good for those who are called in Christ Jesus. Like God's a loving Lord. Some people are like, oh my God, I just don't know I can give this over to Jesus. I'm like, because you don't want the Holy Spirit in return? What? I mean, it's the, the, the cosmos wants to fill you in that area and you're afraid to give up this. Give your life to Jesus. Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father, excuse me, in the name of Jesus Christ, against your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. Give your life to Jesus. That's number one. Number two, abandon sin. Like if you're on the ship of sin, abandon it. Get off of it. Right? That's the idea. Don't harbor sin. Don't like harbor fugitives, then don't harbor sin in your life, Okay? They're both bad. Don't harbor sin in your life. Don't make a safe place for it. Ask God to make you aware of it. I mean, guys, I pray this all the time. God, would you just expose any, any sin in my life that I'm, un- that I'm unaware of, Lord? Just expose any unknown sin. The second step, this is the big one. If you want another sin in your life, ask your spouse. Are you gutsy enough to do that? Because your spouse will tell you. She or he knows. And they know there's sin in your life. Guess who else knows? Your kids. They know there's sin in your life. Ask other people and tell them, be brutally honest. Be brutally honest. Listen, in your marriages, if you're just really repressive and mean all the time, God's Spirit's not going to fill you. That's sin. If you live angry every day of your life and every single thing that every person does, you immediately just go to anger. God's spirit can't fill you because anger has taken a root in your life and it literally acts as a crimp in the hose and the spirit can't flow. Abandon sin. I mean, listen, deal violently with all known sin. Deal violently with all known sin. Don't. Listen, I had a dream one time. I didn't share this with the nine o'clock. I had a dream one time where I come around, a, I come around a corner in my dream, and there's a little fence about this tall, enough for me to step over. And there's a little bitty tree about this tall inside this fenced-in area, and it's all grassy. And there's a leash connected to this, like a rope attached to this little bitty tree. And then the other end of this rope is about a 20-foot Tyrannosaurus Rex. 
And I woke up and said, God, what was that? He goes, that's the sin you think you have control over. You get a deal with it and kill that T-Rex, Steve, because it will kill you. Sin's nothing we play with. It is a T-Rex on a, on a leash that can destroy you at any time. Deal violently with sin. The other dream that I had about sin, about the dragon, about the T-Rex, I was, I was in my, this, was, this was all connected, okay? This was a dream. I'm going around a mountain this time, going up this mountain with a group of people, and I come across, and the dragon, the T-Rex is right in front of me, and I look down, and I have a massive William Wallace sword. And I take it like this, and I go, bam! And like I was Hank Aaron in his heyday, that dragon flies. I mean, literally, I watched it like, pew, like a firework across, like, like fireworks coming out of its butt. I don't know what's happening, right? They're going across the sky, right? And literally, it lands on the valley on the other side. And then it kept on going. And God said, yes, you can kill, you can crush but the sin is always present and will always try to come back. Be aware. Deal violently with sin every single time it presents itself. God speaks to me in dreams, so I just let you know that's why that happened. Number three, uh, surrender your whole life to God's lordship. So that all that really means is obey him completely in everything. That's all it means. He's Lord. He's king, right? He's a loving parent. He's perfect in all of his ways. Obey him completely. It, your life will go well. And everything. Number, number four, ask God to fill you. Ask with your whole heart. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, who are evil, like in comparison to God's greatness, okay? If you then, who are evil, know how to give, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's not rocket science, guys. He's not like up in heaven going, trying to be like stingy Holy Spirit God. Oh, let me see if I can dole out some Holy Spirit to you today. I'm not sure I want to do that. Let's get you keep on asking. No, he's like, I can't wait to. Yes, he's here. He's already, he already lives inside of you, silly. It's like, it's not even like, oh, would you come? Would you come? Would you come? He's already present. Just say, Holy Spirit, move, right? Would you come and have your way? He's like, yes, I can. Number five, then believe. Simply believe that he is filling you. My point is like in faith, say, God, I pray. So, so here's, what, how, here's how you pray. Let me tell you how to pray about this. You've got to start praying like this in every single way. If you don't like praying, then start praying differently, right? So when I pray, this is what I pray. Jesus, I thank you for how great. This is verse 11, verse 13, okay? This is how I pray into this. Jesus, I thank you that in comparison to how great you are, I'm almost evil, that is great that you're that great. And I'm so thankful that you're that great in me. And so I want so I thank you that you love giving me gifts. I thank you that you love giving gifts to me, your child. And I'm asking now, Holy Spirit, that you would fully express yourself through me because I know you can't wait to. That's what I'm asking for. So I sit down to counsel any of you in counseling sessions. That's basically how I pray every single time when you come to sit down. I know I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to offer you. Just because I have a pastor or reverend in front of my name, I don't know any more than you can know. But I will tell you something. I do know Jesus. I was praying yesterday morning. And... And I sat down, and I closed my eyes, and I was with Jesus. Like I, it literally, like it was just, he, it was like his, he, I knew his presence was there. And, and I was, I just started smiling. And I just thanked him because he loved me so much. And I felt so compelled to, to, to share this. I went, hey, Randall. What are you doing? She's like, I'm taking care of the kids. They're going out in the snow. I said, do you want to come down and be with me and Jesus? It's so good. It's like, I just, like, he was so present. I just, I just wanted to be with her, with him. Like, I was... It wasn't like I was like weeping, like, oh my gosh, you're so good, right? And it wasn't like I, it's like I honestly wanted to laugh. Like, because his joy was so palpable, so present, so real. He was so near. I just like said, oh, 
man, it's so good to be with you. I know him. I love being with him. I love being obedient. I love following him. I love doing what he wants me to do. I love sharing him. Like, I'm not special. I am in his eyes. I'm a special kid. We're all special kids, right? But we're all special. This idea is like, I want the Spirit of God to awaken. Like, he's awake. So here's the deal, guys. I'm just, he's just awakening my potential, his potential in me. Like, I'm being awakened to that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've missed you. I've missed this. Had no idea. I was ignorant of the fact. And you're so good, and you so care, and you so fight for us, and you so move in power. And God, there's potential in you. I'm grounded in Christ. You define my potential. I don't want to be a Corinthian over here. God, I want to move in the power of your spirit. I want to, I want to just live in fear and trembling, not of like, oh, I'm so scared. Like, like, I don't want to get in the way because it's so good because you're so good and so powerful. And God, I just love that you love me. And I love that you love people. And I love that you love to move. And, and God, I want my potential to be realized because my potential is your potential and I want it to be realized in me because I want, to, I want to change the world, make a difference, change the person's life I'm me. God, I want to be used by you. God, I, I want to be grounded for life and I want to build a building that's keeping in code with the Holy Spirit. I, Holy Spirit, I want you to have your way in me. I want to enjoy you today. I, I just want to spend, I want to hear your voice and walk with you and be defined by you. I want to see everything through, the, through your lens. I want to see it like you see it. I want to see what you see because what happens in Elijah says, it says that Elijah prays for his, for his, his servant who literally sees this massive army surrounding him and says, and Elijah just goes, I just pray, Father, that the eyes of his heart would be enlightened, that he could see what I see. And all of a sudden it says his eyes are open and he sees on the hillside chariots of fire with angels around them. So the idea is so that he would know that who, that those who are for us far outnumbered those who are against us. I want you to pray. I can't. I'm like, I'm, over, I'm talking too long. I'm trying to like make it happen. Sorry, Jesus. I want you to be awakened. Mm, let's pray. Father, you're good. You really are. You really are. We sing it. We kind of joke about it. You really are good, good Father. You're so alive. You're so loving and caring and kind and considerate. And you are Lord. And so you demand things because you know it produces the most life within us. And I just simply pray, Jesus, this morning or now this afternoon, I pray, Father, that that you would stir this work of potential found in your spirit through or in Christ through the spirit this morning. You would awaken it inside of us. The Holy Spirit, that we would truly understand your nearness, that we'd be unafraid to experience you and what that may mean, and that knowing when you do that, you're always kind and considerate in the process, Lord, that you are so good. And Lord, I just pray for each person here that by grace you would awaken them to potential. Love on them, Jesus, the only way that you can. I pray this in your name. Amen. 